You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 80 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Happy New Year, y'all. Hey, let me guess. New Year, new you, right? Let me also guess. That lasted all of three days, and you've already reverted back to the old you. All your old bad habits, bad patterns. And now you're ashamed, and now you're beating yourself up mentally about it. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? How about a show of hands? That's what I thought. Listen, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. Stop moping, get off your ass, get back on the path, and hit reset. You didn't lose an entire month. But you will, and then that month will turn into two, and then three, and then you're into summer, and you're no closer to any of the goals that you set for yourself this year. Listen, that clock is spinning faster and faster. Maybe you did fall on your face coming out of the starter's block. Who cares? Get up and start running. Remember, day one, all in, let's go. Now, I want to share with you where my head's at. This pod is still the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. The name of the pod is not changing, but my mindset is. You see, when I began this pod a couple of years ago, I said that I wanted to reinvent myself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I wanted to ensure that my best 25 years were in fact in front of me and not behind me. That my best work and my best life were still to come and had not already happened. But then I realized in starting this process was what got me here won't get me there. That's why I took this on. I knew I had to reinvent. So I dug in, studied, researched, networked, spoke with and interviewed dynamic leaders and game changers. And I absolutely made progress. No doubt. I'm absolutely better for it. Yet here I am a couple of years in. And while I am better, I'm still not where I need to be. Why? Because what got me here won't get me where I want to go. What got me here won't get me there. I need to refine the process even further. I need to reset the standard and level up even more. So how am I going to do that? I'm upping the ante. Now I push every chip to the center of the table. I'm burning every boat in the harbor so there is no way off that island. I'm not slowing down. Or backing down, I am doubling down. In fact, I'm going 10x, 20x, maxing out, as my guy Ed Milet would say, or as Wes Watson likes to say, all in is all that works. Not to disrespect anybody's faith or devotion in any way, please do not take this the wrong way, but never mind training day, this is resurrection day. And I've taken Jim Rome out. And I put him in the ground. I literally am tired of that guy. Because that guy got me here, but wasn't going to get me there. That guy was not getting it done. So this new dude, Rome, just Rome, is coming at it with a whole new intensity. A whole new sense of urgency. Living with intention and focus is no longer enough. That's not getting me where I need to go. No. My word for the year is resurrection. Jim Rome is in the ground. Rome, however, has risen from the ashes like a phoenix, yo. Now we go. Every second counts. Day one, all in. 
Let's freaking go. No more vagaries about reinvention. Now I am very specific about what I want to achieve. Very specific about my tactics and strategies for knocking down those targets. I can't get into exactly what these targets are, but now I know where I want to go and how I plan to get there. And if it doesn't work, I am prepared to course correct. Most of all, I no longer have a mindset or just a reinvention on my mind. Now I am on a mission. It's no longer just a purpose-driven life. It's a mission-driven life that I'm going to attack with fervor and zeal every damn day. No days off. I am now more clear on this mission than I have been in decades. Once I determined what that mission was, then I committed to it fully. And now everything is starting to fall into place. For instance, every thought, every choice, every decision, every action, every spoken word has to be in alignment with and flow from this mission. If it doesn't, I don't do it. I don't think it. I don't act on it. I don't drink it. I don't eat it. It is a mission-driven life. Now, is this easy? No, of course not. But the more committed I am, the more I adhere to the process that I've developed, the more obsessed I am with the standard I'm creating, the easier it does get. Because not only is it becoming habitual, I'm actually rewiring my brain through repetition and consistency. And then I no longer need to think about whether or not I'm doing the right thing. I no longer need to think about how it feels. I just do it. Because the standard is the standard, and I am obsessed with the mission that I have committed to. Again, I am very clear and very specific about what the mission is and the roadmap for getting there. I am on a mission. It is deeply personal. The chip on my shoulder has never been bigger. I have never been more motivated nor wanted it worse. That was my separation when I got into this business decades ago, and that is my separation right now. I am betting on me. This is what has worked for me, and I bet that it will work for you too, but only if you identify your mission, commit to that mission, become obsessed with that mission, and then live a life with missionary zeal. You got to be all in. And listen, don't come at me and don't knock it or hate on it until you've made that type of commitment and you have gone all in, until you've made that sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifice, I could live another 50 years and never make anywhere near the sacrifice my guest today has made. A sacrifice for his loved ones, for his team, for his country. Frankly, the ultimate sacrifice. No, our guest did not lose his life. But he did lose all four limbs in combat. That's right. A quadruple amputee. I'm talking about retired United States Army Staff Sergeant Travis Mills. A larger-than-life leader when he entered the military and an even more incredible force of nature when he came out. The only thing more shocking than him surviving such a violent and traumatic episode is that he survived it with his incredible spirit and mindset still intact. And even more incredible is that nobody who knew him was the least bit surprised by it. They all said, that's just Travis. Having heard his story, I knew I had to speak with him and hear from him, and now you will too. It's episode 80 of The Reinvention Project with guest Travis Mills, and it's coming at you right now.
Travis, first of all, dude, absolutely awesome to meet you, my guy. Thanks a million for making time to chat about your life, your book, and everything else that's going on. In fact, how is things? How are things? I'll tell you what, doing super swell. Um, you know, I wake up, no arms, no legs, but I still feel pretty positive about life since I lived through my injuries. And um, everything's going awesome. So I appreciate the time, and thanks for having me on your, your show. No, I appreciate you doing it. My feeling is you you are living an amazing life. We could start this conversation in so many different ways, but let me start by asking you this. How did you meet your wife, Kelsey, and what is she like? Well, I'll tell you what. I think she was sitting outside one night, and shot, and she saw a shooting star, and she was like, I hope I meet the man of my dreams. And then boom, there I was. Incredible. But uh, yeah, no, so actually her brother was my medic on my first deployment. And she saw pictures of me. She was 18 in college. I was 20 in Afghanistan. And um, she sent a MySpace friend request to date me a little bit, you know, a little bit there. Um, and I hit accept, started chit-chatting with her. And we went on our first date. Um, basically never met each other and flew to Cozumel, Mexico for a week for, uh, for a date. And then got married shortly after. Been married 15 years now. Amazing. MySpace, no less. So let me ask you this. I'm going to go back to that. But when did you first start thinking about the service and that life? Well, you know, I was in uh, college playing football. And when I say playing, I was like on the sidelines watching everybody play. I was really <laughs> good at clapping, apparently. But right. uh, I, I miss the brotherhood that the, you know, that the, uh, like the football team was. And I thought, I'm not really cut out for college. So I started talking to recruiting stations and I realized it's something I was really drawn to. So, you know, halfway through my second semester of college, I was like, I got to do something different. All right. So listen up. The other day I came across a product that all of you, all of you should be carrying around. It's something different for fresh breath. It's this amazing product called Zellman's Minty Mouth. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Listen, if you're up in somebody else's grill, making your case for whatever it might be, make sure your breath is fresh. Zellman's cleans your breath in a way that other mints don't and can't because it's not a mint. It's not just a mint. It's a functional breath freshener capsule that you swallow, clinically tested against the toughest offenders, even garlic and onions. Just pop two or three in your mouth. Suck the minty coating, then swallow the capsule for the confidence of fresh, clean breath that lasts for hours. I'm telling you, this product is like nothing else you've ever tried. It fights bad breath in your mouth, and then it goes down to your gut. The ultimate hack to get rid of coffee, garlic, or smoker's breath. That strong. You're going to love having the confidence of long-lasting fresh breath or your money back guaranteed. They will give you your money back. Not that you're going to want it, but they will. They have free shipping. If you order three packs or more, trust me, you're going to want more. I know this. And nobody likes to pay for shipping. What you want to do is go to Zellman's.com right now. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S.com. You'll get 15% off when you use my promo code Rome. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S.com. You have to use the code Rome to get your 15% savings. R-O-M-E. Do it now. In fact, I was going to ask you about that because you were ultimately deployed for a third tour in Afghanistan, and I would imagine it could not have been easy to leave your family, but you also said what you just said, that it's a brotherhood, a calling. Like, if you had to put that into words, how would you explain exactly what the brotherhood or the calling meant to you and means to you? Well, you know, it's like a sports team or a club that someone's a part of, or, you know, uh, it can be just a close group of friends, something 
where you'll do anything for the person next to you. And this one was people were willing to die for me and I would die for them to keep them safe. And, uh, you know, the military is, is awesome. I enjoyed every minute that I was there, even on the bad days. And for me, I just was, uh, up in the air about, do I deploy, do I not deploy? And I had orders taking me somewhere else, but I decided to cancel those because, you know, those guys that serve under me and believe in me and my wife and I were, you know, uh, fresh new parents with a six month old when I got injured. So, um, my wife understood the, that it was part of the deal and I canceled my orders and I deployed for a third time to Afghanistan because those guys, my left, my right meant the world to me. And it was my job to try to get them back home. So Travis, take me back to April 10th, 2012. What was your assignment that day? What happened? Well, we were overseas and we were trying to, you know, embed with the local population, help them build schools and dig fresh drinking water wells and things like that. But um, it was a pretty typical day. A phone call from a village elder wanted us to come out and help in the village, which is, you know, pretty normal. And we went on patrol and we came to a short halt. And uh, theoretically, I'm supposed to be the guy in my, um, my whole entire platoon because I was the boss of the, the biggest uh, machine guns. So because I was in charge of the highest weaponry and the highest firepower on the battlefield, I was in the middle of the con, you know, the column, but came to short halt and I took my backpack off and I put it on the ground to uh, get the rounds all together, 2000 rounds per bag, four bags per gun. And um, when I put my bag on the ground, it landed on top of a roadside bomb, you know, IED. And when the bomb went off, it instantly took my right arm, right leg off. They never found those pieces of me. Uh, I got thrown on the left side of my face and when I rolled over my back and I saw the aftermath, my left leg was snapped to the bone, muscle, tendon, and a little bit of skin holding it on. My left arm was blown up the wrist really bad, but so I used my thumb, index, and middle finger, and my right side was completely gone. So I got hit, rolled over, saw this, told myself, don't freak out. Uh, I kept myself as calm as possible and just saw the movie Saving Private Ryan in my head because that's the movie where the medic is shot in the stomach and cries for his mom, begs for his life, but ultimately dies. And I always told myself, no matter what, I'm never going to be that guy. I was always first in a firefight, you know, last out, never showed fear, exuded confidence, um, if you will, even if it was uh, false motivation or false confidence. And I just told myself, don't ever freak out because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And that's all there is to it. So when they were working on me, actually, I called one medic down and I called the other, you know, I, I called my platoon uh, leader, my, my lieutenant, and told him to send his medic over with ours because we had other guys injured. And then they got me on a helicopter, uh, took me to the hospital. And on the operating table, I kept trying to like sit up and get away from the nurses and doctors. And they just told me, hey, knock it off. And about the third time I tried to sit up and she, the nurse pushed me down and yelled at her, stop touching me. And she knocked me out with medication and said, she didn't know how still awake right now, but I had to go to sleep. And I looked at her and said, my little girl, am I ever gonna see her again? And um, last thing I remember saying was that to the, to the nurse and I faded out and then there was 14 hours of surgery and nine doctors and seven nurses that worked around the clock to keep me alive. And they ran out of blood in the blood bank that day. So they actually gave blood from their veins um, and had people rush to the doors of the hospital with a positive and universal blood to give to me to, uh, to keep me alive. I, I mean, Travis, I'm not even sure how to unpack all that. That is one of the most amazing things that I've ever heard in my life. You know, the surgery, that surgery, all those hours, all those doctors, all that blood. When you finally came to, well, when did you finally come to, and who was in the room when you did? Well, I mean, after the surgery, I was stable but critical. I was triple amputee, and two days after that, they flew me to Bagram, Afghanistan, and on April 12th, 
they cut my left hand off the rest of the way because they realized the skin had died around it and there's no saving it. And then two days after that, on the 14th of April, they woke me up for the very first time. And in the room was only my brother-in-law. And when I saw my brother-in-law, I just asked about my soldiers, you know, how are they doing? And he told me, you know, what happened to them? And then I said, okay. And then I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, no. And I looked at him and said, Josh, you don't got to lie to me. Like, you can tell me the truth. I really can't put my fingers and toes. And he said, you don't have them anymore. And he just told me straight, you know. Um, and then I ignored him and the doctors and nurses and everybody that came in to talk to me. And they had, like, questions for me and wanted to talk to me. And I didn't want to talk to them because I had my own questions, you know. Like, am I a bad person? You know, what is wrong? life I deserve this. Um, I had questions of how can I still be a husband and a father. And I just like, you know, just like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, right? My good friend Gary there, his character. I questioned why I lived. Um, not because I was suicidal, but I was like, I'm just going to be a burden on everybody. How is this better than just fading off, you know, having no arms, no legs? And then, uh, you know, I, when I got the chance, my, I, I called my wife and my parents, and I really didn't say much to them. Just like, hey, what's up? I'm fine. And my mom was like, hey, happy birthday, because the 14th of April is actually my birthday. So it was my 25th birthday that day that I found all this out. I mean, the fact is, uh, <laughs> did you did you just say that you called up your parents and you said you were fine? Well, I mean, I just didn't, yeah. I, my wife, too. I was like, hey, what's up? I'm fine. Love you, bye. Because I didn't want to deal with the situation. Um, I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, how can I be of any use to anybody? You know, uh, real low point. Trying to figure out how I'm going to be a father still and um, how, you know, how am I not going to be a burden? People are spoon-feeding me. They're helping me use the bathroom. They're changing my clothes for me. Um, like, what do I really have left to give with both arms and both legs now gone off my body? You know, and obviously, as time goes on, you know, obviously, you were not going to have that. And the rehab was intense, and you went through it. But Kelsey finally comes to Walter Reed Medical Center three days later. And although you're kind of touching on this, what did you tell her when she first came there and you saw her? Well, I mean, you know, I got back to Walter Reed on the 17th of April, a week after my injury, and I told her, um, well, actually, that night, they didn't even get, let her see me. I had to go to emergency surgery. Um, but the next day, she came in. I told her that I appreciate her being there, and I loved her, but she didn't have to do this. I said she can take the house, the cars, any money saved up, and she can go. Because I had nothing left to offer, in my opinion. You know, and uh, I said, I've been thinking about it, and you and Chloe, I'll take care of you however I can, financially, whatever I have, but you can go. You know, and, and without batting an eyelash, she was like, no, that's not how this works. We'll get through this together. And I mean, um, it's impressive. Not that I think she would have took the other option now, but it's just impressive to think at 23 years old with a six-month-old on her hip and a husband that had nothing left, you know, with arms and legs, that she was like, no, nah, we'll get through this. Um, and then I was just fortunate to have her by my side, you know. I mean, it says the world about her, and then and then you had to get leverage, right? You had to start to rebuild yourself and your mind. Like, at that point, what was your why? What was your purpose? Because initially, you were questioning it. Like, who who am I going to be of value to? I have no arms. I have no legs. What can I do? But then something ultimately clicked in. What was your why? What was your purpose? Why did you want to get better? Well, I mean, obviously, my wife is a huge driving force of my success and what I do. But my daughter was everything. My six-month-old little, little girl. And, uh, you know, my mom's not a very big woman, right? She's five foot two, 130 pounds. But she scares me. And uh, <laughs> I've only talked sternly to my mom, like, once in my life I can remember. And it was when I woke up. And when I woke up in the hospital, my uh, mom was sitting there. And I said, hey, when's Chloe and Kelsey coming? I want to see Chloe. Because I used to roll a ball back and forth with my daughter. Just sit on the edge of the bed, she would sit there and roll the ball back and forth. And like she was like, Oh, she already came. Um, 
but you were sleeping, so we didn't wake you up. And I said, don't ever let that happen again. She is the only reason that this is worth living for. Um, but my daughter was my driving force. I learned how to walk with my daughter. You know, I learned how to do a lot of things with her by my side. And she's one of my closest friends to this day. So what were your initial goals? Once you started, what were your initial goals? What are the first things you wanted to do and had to do? I mean, I, I wanted to get a hand again, right? I wanted to be able to do things independently. I didn't want to have help with everything that I was getting help with. So um, at five weeks into my recovery, I got my hand for the first time. Uh, was able to uh, learn how to open and close and rotate and do all the things with the muscle flexes in my forearm that make the, uh, they call it myoelectric hand work. So once I got that going, I was like, all right, cool. Let's start walking and let's build up my strength again. And I learned how to walk and started walking with, you know, just shy of two months on some short legs and slowly progressed to uh, my tall legs I have now. And I got pretty proficient by like probably seven to eight months in. And then, you know, I wanted to be able to drive again. So I learned how to drive with an adapted vehicle. Um, and the cool thing is my legs now are Bluetooth. So I lock my one, my right leg into a driving mode, which is 25 degree angle. And I just rip around the roads like everybody else. <laughs> it's the best, man. That is so great. I mean, I, I, I'm laughing out of such profound respect. I mean, dude, the thing is, like, you were clearly one, one of the toughest human beings ever, ever, ever. But the pain was unbearable initially, even for an incredibly tough dude like you. So they performed an experimental procedure to help you deal with it. What did that involve? Well, so I was in such bad pain and everybody talks about phantom limb pain and uh, like I feel my hand, but I can't, you know, even though it's not there, you know, um, for me, it felt like my feet were on fire. My fingernails were getting pulled out and um, just excruciating pain. And I was uh, taking so much morphine and, and medication. They thought that was either going to be a chronic pain the rest of my life or I was going to overdose. And they tried these different case studies. And the last one they tried um, was actually a ketamine coma. And the ketamine coma was a wild ride. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was sitting there and it was just 600 milligrams an hour for five days straight to reset my brain to think where my nerves end is where they actually end. So my nerves will stop trying to find my hands and my feet. And when I came out of it, I was hallucinating like crazy. I uh, couldn't make sense of anything. Um, every now and then I would be stuck in a, a hallucination that made no sense. But after that, I mean... Uh, you know, fast forward three, four months later, I have no medication I was taking, no pain anymore. Um, you know, and now 15 years in, or I'm sorry, uh, 11 years in my injury, going on 12 this April, uh, no medication, nothing like that, no pain, and very grateful for that kind of science out there. Well, amazing. So one of the other early goals you had, you wanted to see your men. It was really important to you to see your men. What did that involve early on? Well, I mean, I wanted to see my guys again. I called them four days after... Like on my birthday, when I woke up in uh, Germany. I called them and told them, "Hey guys, thanks a lot for all you did. Do keep doing great work, keep the fight going." And I wanted them not, you know, not to worry about me. Um, but then I told them I'd see them when they got back from Afghanistan. So I worked out really hard. The day they were coming back, I had to do three hours of working out to make sure that I was safe to take my legs home because they don't let you just take your legs home unless you're like ready for it. Um, but I did my three hours of different training and tests and you know, showed my skills off. So I took them home and I drove six and a half hours that same day and made it like with 30 minutes left. And I got a chance to see everybody and welcome them home. And it was funny. The guys that knew me were giving me a big hug and super excited. And I was a staff sergeant. So like I had some rank in the military. And then the new privates that were there that like came later in deployment were looking at me like, 
should I hug him? Should I not? And I'm like, dude, you don't got to hug me. You don't even know me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and because I was a staff sergeant and they weren't anywhere near my rank, they were like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> I'm like, just keep keep walking. No, no awkward, you know, uh, awkward hugs. We're good. <laughs> no awkward hugs. Not to mention they had heard about the legend. They'd heard all the stories. Like, what was it like to see your men? And then what was it like to see the medic who saved your life? You know, it was incredible. I, I saw both medics, Dan and, and Alex, and, and I thanked them for their hard work and told them well, they're the reason I was able to stand there today. And, you know, um, my son, my wife and I have a six-year-old, and his name is Dax, uh, D-A-X, because the medics were Daniel and Alexander. And we thought we should match their names up, come up with something cool because they made it possible for me to live. So he's named after those two fine gentlemen um, because they worked so hard on the ground to keep me alive, and I was able to come back and have more children. I think that's absolutely amazing. So I, I took a lot of time to kind of set this up and, and what you went through. And now we could talk about how you built yourself back up. And because I know there are a lot of people, nobody listening has ever gone through what you've gone through, but everybody listening is going through something right now. Like, for instance, did you ever ask yourself questions like, why me? What could I have done differently? What if I didn't step there? How can I go back in time? How did you deal with that? You know, I, uh, I did do that quite a bit in the beginning days, but then I realized no matter how many times I close my eyes and I hope, and I wish and pray this never happened, I couldn't change it. So, you know, I'd be in the hospital bed, close my eyes and I'd think, okay, wake up from this nightmare. It's all going to change. And then as soon as I woke up or opened my eyes, I was still there with no arms, no legs. And because I was able to realize that I lived through my injuries and a lot of my friends died, I was you know, able to take the negative, put a positive spin of like, I'm actually lucky in this situation. I'm with my wife and my daughter, um, you know, growing and doing things where a lot of my friends, they died. They didn't make it back home. And the biggest thing that helped me recover was I stopped asking why I accepted that I lost my arms and legs. I accepted I got blown up, but at the same time, I, I don't keep asking why it happened because there's never going to be an answer that makes sense. There's never been an answer that's like, oh, that's the reason why. And I just realized, you know what? It is what it is. At the end of the day, I can't change it. So make the most out of it. And that's what I've been able to do. You've also written a book, a great, great book called Bounce Back, 12 Warrior Principles to Reclaim and Recalibrate Your Life. And the guy who wrote the foreword is a legend, Jocko Willink. In fact, yeah. I mean, Jocko's the goat, straight up. This dude, like, I, I've never seen anybody quite like Jocko. Let me just ask you, right, what did it mean to you to have Jocko write that forward? I mean, I've been fortunate to be friends with Jocko for many years now. Uh, he's a very, very nice man who, when uh, I get to talk to him, he's nowhere near as serious as he is normally because I always joke around and goof around. But to have him write the forward and say those nice things, I mean, it meant the world to me. But also, I, I truly believe that he he means it when he says it because he doesn't do anything that he doesn't want to do. And, you know, I just found, I do keynote speaking. I travel around the nation about 150 days out of the year um, and I find that everybody has a story, right? My story is unique because I got blown up and have norms and legs. And I'm one of five surviving quadruple amputees, but my story of survival or the comeback is nothing, you know, special or unique when you consider people that have cancer or car accidents or financial troubles or anxiety. And I believe everyone's biggest problem is their biggest problem. So when people come and talk to me about everything they're going through and they try to downplay what they're going through, I let them know like, no, no, we all have a story. And we all have things that we go through. And my new book, Bounce Back, was built around telling other people's stories. You know, a widower, a divorcee, a guy that had a house fire, someone suffering from post-traumatic stress. And I let them know, like, 
like everybody has these problems. You're not alone in this, but this is how they were at the bottom. They came back out of it. And here's some theories that help because I just feel like I don't want people to feel like they should put themselves below my injuries or below my problems. But I also think that people need to understand that we can all learn how to struggle well and we're going to go through things and we're going to have growth from it. And, um, you know, we can all really just do good in the world. If we understand that there's other people that are like us that have the same story or same situation that, you know, um, they're able to find a way out of. Travis, I love that phrase you just used. We could all learn how to struggle. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, I wake up in the morning and, and I have no arms and legs and sometimes it's a struggle to get put together, but I get put together. And when I'm walking, I might, you know, not be able to go somewhere because the ice or might slip up and fall um, because the ground's uneven. And that's a struggle, but, you know, hey, I'm able to do it still. I'm able to get back on my feet, you know, and, and keep pushing forward. And I think everybody has setbacks in life, you know, it, and it doesn't matter. I mean, how big or small, you could burn your, your food on the grill, you know, and then you got to call Domino's. But <laughs> I'm just saying for everybody out there that's having a rough go or has a rough day, um, you know, I just always look to a better future and think, okay, how can I adapt my situation so I can overcome? You know, I also like that phrase that everybody's biggest problem is their biggest problem. If somebody's, look, we all have our biggest problem. If somebody listening right now is like, man, I just, I, I'm losing. I'm fighting a losing battle. I don't know what to do. The biggest problem is winning. What do you tell people who come to you like, okay, I get the concept. My biggest problem is my biggest problem, but I don't know what to do. I'm not getting better. What do you tell that person? I mean, I tell them, obviously, buy my book, Bounce Back. It has all the answers. There you go. Uh, but that's, that's, that's a shameless plug, to be honest with you. You're right, by the <laughs> but, way. Uh, You're right. You're no, right. No, I, but I, I just tell people, hey, we all we all go through things. And, you know, every day you got to keep pushing forward. And instead of looking at what you don't have or what you're going through as a negative, look at what you're able to go through. Look at what you're able to have. Um, some of my best friends didn't make it back out of Afghanistan. They never saw their daughter or their son or their spouse or their, uh, you know, their parents or their friends ever again. And I get to see my friends. I was just back home, you know, for the holidays. And I was able to hang out with a lot of my friends that, you know, I grew up with and say hi and, and have a drink and, and catch up with where, you know, my blessings are that I get to do that stuff. My wife and my, my two wonderful children are in my life every day. And I think I look at the positives over the negatives because I could sit there and go down a rabbit hole of, well, I have no arms and legs. I can't do this. I can't do that. But instead, I'm like, hey, look at what I can do. You know, uh, uh, my wife and I started the Travis Mills Foundation off an idea that we want to do care packages. Now it's one of the biggest veteran service organizations out there that brings in veterans and their families that have been through physical injuries due to service. And we show them, don't live life on the sidelines. Be active with your family. And it goes really well. You know, we have an awesome, awesome staff with a great leader and Heather Hemphill who's the executive director. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed as, as bad as people can look at my pictures of me and say like, Ooh, that's gotta be terrible. I truly have been blessed in life. Hmm. So the book bounce back before I let you go, let me just hit you with a couple of principles. I don't want to give away the entire thing. I want them to get the book. Yeah. It's a great, great book, but the book's got 12 principles. So let me hit you with a couple. This one I like, it's a phrase that we all know, but I want to get your thoughts on what context and what you mean by this principle being that dog don't hunt. What did you do with that? Well, I mean, that's where you got to stop asking why. You got to stop going down the rabbit hole of uh, why this happened. You know, I, if I could have did this different, if I could do that different, because you can't go back in time. And I had to learn that early on in my recovery that no matter what happened to me, there was no changing it. And I think instead of trying to find some answer that's not there, I just accept and I move forward. How about this one? Quote, snap your fingers, 
wiggle your toes, get the fuck out of bed. Well, I don't know. People make excuses, right? Um, people make excuses why they can't do something. And for me, you know, I always tell people, like, if they're having a bad day, like, hey, can you snap your fingers? Can you wiggle your toes? Because I can't do either of those, right? And I'm like, all right, life's not that bad. Let's go. And, you know, there's that famous book out there, Make Your Bed. It's like do one small task and get your day started. And um, I just figured, you know, sometimes it takes more than just making your bed. First, you got to get out of your bed. And you got to just face it the day and get after it. So it's just like get up, get after it, let's go. Dude, is there a magic to that? You're right. I know that book. I think a lot of our listeners to this podcast would know that book. Is there something, is there magic to that? Like, what's the point behind make your bed? Why is that so critical? Well, the military always made me make my bed, but my wife does it now, so I couldn't tell you. Uh, But no, I think it's just like celebrate the wins and the victories, you know, and making your bed is the first thing that you can do during, you know, your, the start of your day that you can like accomplish and um, those small accomplishments, you know, get you through the day and lead up to your bigger accomplishments. So, you know, I I just, when I, when I was thinking about writing this, this book in particular, I was like, people always ask me for advice. People always wonder, how do I do it? How do I keep pushing forward? How do I, you know, um, stay positive? And I thought, you know what, let me just write a book where it showcases everyone's story out there, not just mine, right? bunch of different stories of everyday problems people face that are you know tragic but how they came out of it and sometimes just getting out of bed is uh is like the accomplishment you need to do you got to face today and you just got to get after it and then making your beds a second one travis since everybody asked you i'll do the same thing how do you stay so positive i mean just i have to you know a lot of alcohol obviously but uh just i got i I like i like alcohol What, what what kind of alcohol helps with positivity uh, all of them, all of them, <laughs> usually in uh, abundance. But uh, no, no, I'm look at the end of the day, I can't change what happened. I tried forever to wake up and not have this be my reality. And I, it never changed. So since it never changed and I can't make the, you know, my arms, and legs grow back. I just realized how lucky I am to still be alive. Thankful to have the opportunity to raise my children, be with my wife and to have the foundation to speak nationally for my own speaking company. And you know, it's just, it's been a fun ride. Um, and if I take the negative thoughts and the negative ideas out of there where it's like, well, this sucks. This is terrible. I have no arms and legs. And I realized like I got prosthetics that make me drive and feed myself and walk around. And I have the ability to still live life positively. I might as well do the best I can to keep that going. All right. So before I let you go, let me ask you about leadership. I think you're an incredible leader. I think you lead from the front. I think you're an absolutely amazing leader. Like, obviously, you were an athlete growing up. You played sports. Your dad talks about this in docs I've seen, that people just gravitated to you naturally. People listening right now would understand that, too. You have an energy about you. How did you approach leadership? Like, for instance, you're a keynote speaker. I know you talk to companies. I know you talk about leadership. How did you personally approach leadership and leading your men and leading your family, leading people around you? Well, you know, I just, uh, I always would make sure that I never asked someone to do something that I wouldn't do. I made sure I always understood what, you know, was going on in their life. And when I was in the military, you know, if I had something going on that was personally bothering me, I never told anybody, but I knew everything my guys were going through. If a guy was upset with his wife, if a guy had problems with his finances, if a guy had, you know, something going on back home with his family, like I knew about it and I cared and I listened and, you know, I talk with people, not at people, um, And I think the best thing for me that was successful in my leadership was that I always smile and joked around and treat everyone as equal. You know, I never lord over people. I don't make them feel smaller because of my title. And 
you know, everybody at the foundation, I say, hey, we all work together. Now, if someone messes up and they find out they work for me, that's on them, not me. But I think, you know, going in it with that approach has really helped me um, and, and really helped us create something really, uh, really special at the Travis Mills Foundation. All right. So I, I get Kelsey. But for instance, when you were there, when you were deployed, if everybody leaned on you, who did you lean on if you ever had a moment where you needed somebody to lean on? Well, I have really broad shoulders, so I never really had to. But yeah. if I did have to, um, the best part is with rank, I had three other E6s, one E7 and one E8 that I could talk to, you know. <laughs> so I would just talk up to people. But but it was it was pretty cool because um, I was a guy that everybody went to for advice. And I was always promoted younger than everybody else and faster than a lot of people. I was really good at, you know, finding the 12-pack or 30-pack my first sergeant liked complimenting his haircut, you know, really giving, giving the, like the right things, um, at the right time. But, uh, but no, I mean, if, if I needed somebody, I had my wife to always fall back on as well as, um, just, uh, just my leadership, you know, people above me that I could have for mentors, I, even in business, right. I own a few businesses. I have a restaurant and a marina and a few other things. And I have two or three gentlemen that, uh, I hit up for, you know, mentoring probably weekly, just to see what they, their thoughts are. Do you mentor others like that? I mean, some people talk to me. Yeah, I guess in a way. Yeah. I just kind of hang out. I do mentor if they want advice or things like that. I have some friends that are starting some businesses and things like that that I've talked with and, and um, a few other, you know, friends that I have. But um, I do what I can. You know, I'm no expert, but uh, I do have pretty good advice apparently because my Not, daughter, yeah, she's a straight A student and that's all me. Dude, how old is she now? She's 12. Uh -huh. My son is six. So what does she want to do? Well, uh, be my best friend for sure. But besides for that, uh, I don't know. She's really good, good at soccer. She's good at soccer. And then I told her like, hey, go to college if you want to go to college. But she has a job at one of my various locations that I'm fortunate to be a part of. <laughs> you got her started early. That's great. So the book is awesome. It's called Bounce Back 12 Warrior Principles. I would imagine that our listeners could get that book wherever they get their books. Absolutely. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's number one right now on Amazon for the self-help and psychology humor. Uh, very proud of that. But yeah, if you guys check it out, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I would never put something I'm not proud of. So hopefully everybody gets something out of it. And, you know, with, with the holidays coming up, it's a great gift for everyone <laughs> it's an actually it's an awesome gift everybody should get it it's a tremendous read it's a great book and it's really inspiring if companies want to reach out to you to be a keynote speaker i know you're on the road and you're already wired for that what is the best way for somebody listening right now who has not made contact with you but would like to make contact with you how would they go about doing that yeah so just travismills.org that's my website find everything on my foundation my speaking my businesses all right there all right, Travis, I think you're an absolute legend. I think you're a warrior. Man, I can't say, how one, how great it is to meet you. Thank you for your service. I appreciate all you've done, and really awesome to have you on. Thanks for going long form today and being on the Reinvention Project. It was an absolute blast. I appreciate you. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great day. Appreciate your time. So how is it that that dude that lost all of his limbs survived something that horrific and now on his very worst day still has a much better attitude than I do on my very best day. I can answer that because Travis Mills is a legend and a warrior and an incredible inspiration. And his book is great. In fact, my favorite of his 12 principles is, and I quote, snap your fingers, wiggle your toes, get the fuck out of bed. 
<laughs> End of quote. What an amazing thought. Tomorrow, when my alarm goes off at 4.30 a.m. and I want to smash news, I'm going to think immediately, snap your fingers, wiggle your toes, get the fuck out of bed, Rome. And I think you should all do the same thing. As always, thank you so much for making time to work this podcast into your rotation. If you like what you're hearing, please share it. Please hit subscribe and leave a review. Truthfully, that means everything to me. Find your mission, commit to it, and go all in. Day one, all in, let's go. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.